just tell your listeners understand the difference, what the frequencies are. One hertz is the measurement that we use in regards to electromagnetic radiation. And what it means is that my body is being hit by a wave, a radio wave, every second. Okay, so one hertz is one every second I get hit once. At 50 hertz, which is around the broadcast towers here in Sydney, that was at 50 cycles per second. So that means my body was being hit 50 times by the electromagnetic radiation, okay? 60 gigahertz, so as everybody understands this, that is 60 billion cycles per second. So our bodies are going to be hit with 60 billion cycles of energy per second from that frequency. 24-7, 365 days. That's correct. That's why the International Agency for Research on Cancer said that children should not be exposed long-term, I might add, long-term to ELF over 0.3 of a microtesla. This is Bruce Lipton, and you're listening to Planet FM. Kia ora, greetings, and welcome to Planet FM 104.6. I'm Tim Lynch, and I trust that you are doing well. I invite you to stay with me over the next hour as we discuss and find ways to take care of our unique and magnificent green planet Earth. On the phone from Hobart in Tasmania, that unique island south of the Australian continent, I have lawyer Ray Broomhall. And he's part of a group of 15 lawyers in Australia who are volunteering their time to halt the deployment of 5G wireless technology in Australia. So kia ora, Ray. Hey, kia ora. How are you? Well, I'm <laughs> pushing it. We're all pushing it. We're working hard and constantly, Ray. And this is just how it is. So, Ray, could you tell us, there's supposed to be a deployment of 40,000 satellites that Elon Musk is putting up. And just last week, I was talking to Stephen Browning, an ex-Green MP of Parliament here in New Zealand. And he actually witnessed this deployment. A lot of New Zealanders did. And he was in awe as this sort of necklace of satellites came out. And then he sort of went into shock. And he thought to himself, no, this is not right. It's a violation. So can you tell the New Zealand listeners and overseas listeners as well what's happening? Because we're not getting the information. Okay. What it is is that, just so as people are aware of it, there's Elon Musk, it's just one company, but he wants to put out 40,000 satellites, low-orbit satellites, to help with 5G around the world. And he actually just got uh, approval through the what we call the International Telecommunications Union, there was a World Radio Communications Conference which was held in Egypt in November of 2019. Now, New Zealand and Australia would have been parties to that conference and they all agreed that Elon Musk had approval to operate at the 60 gigahertz band, which basically means that it's a free licence type arrangement where at the moment for Wi-Fi in homes, you can have it at 2.4 up to 5 gigahertz. Well, they've now increased that at the new wavelength band or the band at 60 gigahertz. find that all smart technology will now have chips in it which will complement the 60 gigahertz frequency that the satellites are going to operate at. And you'll find that Wi-Fi modems, mobile phones, laptops, etc. will be all operating at the 60 gigahertz as well. Yes, we're looking at 40,000 satellites. 
and I believe he's actually going to increase it up to 60000 Yes, because they're using the global commons, which is the upper reaches of the atmosphere, and they haven't had permission from me, and they haven't had permission from you. How do they get this license to be able to overrule the people down here on the surface of the earth? Well, this is the interesting thing. A lot of people don't realise that there is legislation, and particularly in New Zealand, we have what's known as the Outer Space and High Altitude Activities Act. 2017, which provides some sort of reassurance for New Zealanders in regards to not only satellites, but also high-altitude platform stations. And I think that your listeners need to understand that there's more than just satellites that are are a concern up in the heavens, so to speak. There's also a thing called high-altitude platform stations, or another name for them would be called HAPS. They're also known as high-altitude pseudo-satellites. And these are not actually satellites as such, but they're actually drones, which are about 80 metres in length. They fly at around the 20 kilometre mark in the stratosphere, so they're just above the clouds, and they're solar-powered, but they're designed as part of the 5G rollout, as you could say, with the satellites. And what they do is they're equivalent to 1,800 towers, and they operate in a 200-kilometre radius, and they're actually launching them believe it or not, from Australia, from a base in Wyndham, and they're also doing some of it over in the United States through Hawaii. But basically their companies at the moment are rushing out to put up these high-altitude platform stations as well. So they're going to be, every 200 kilometres, there's going to be one of these things circling up in the air. They last for about three months up in the air. They then re-land and they send another one up. So it's more than just satellites. Yes, this is horrific for a lot of people to just learn about this because, again, mainstream media has been very silent. And what sort of power or what sort of frequencies are they going to be? They're going to be operating at 5... Well, let's face it, 5G is a whole conglomerate of different frequencies. So you've got ELF, which is extremely low frequencies, as well as high frequencies. So you've got your RF, which is the high-frequency bandwidth, and then you've got your ELF, which is below the 3 kilohertz range. So you're going to have various frequencies from the one signal. So you'll have things like what we call beamforming. There'll be different frequencies used. And as we're saying, it'll be from the 60 gigahertz at this stage uh, right down to your 2.4 to communicate with mobile phones, etc., you'll find that there's a whole overlay of different frequencies. So 5G is not just one frequency, and people can understand that. It's a whole multitude of 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, all combined, plus not only be sending data, but it'll also be sending wireless power transfer, and your listeners need to understand what that means. So in essence, they're sending electrical energy from these devices so as that your phones do not need to be plugged into the wall to be powered up. They'll be charged automatically by the airwaves through electricity. So your things like autonomous vehicles and other devices in your home, it'll get to the point where you won't need to have power cords to your wall. They'll all be charged through electricity through the air. So 5G is a lot more than people realise. Well, what shocks me is that how can one of these orbiting platforms or stationary orbit, how can it have so much energy to one be able to charge up all the telephones, mobile telephones, and then you say they're going to be doing cars. Where do they get this energy up there? Well, it's, it's all part of the network. So you'll have your small cells, which are your small cells are on power poles. You probably hear them. They're putting up these ones. They're just about every street they're trying to put small cells, they're using people's phones their modems to be part of the network so not only your phones are going to be receivers but also going to be transmitters for your network 
So what you'll find that they're connected to the macro base stations, which are the large towers that we have that you see dotted everywhere, and they're putting them out in thousands of them at the moment. And then you've also got your high-altitude platform stations and your satellites. So it's all part of the one integral unit to send basically not only data but wireless power transfer, yes, energy. It's hard to explain, and it's a very complicated process, but I suggest your listeners look for wireless power transfer on the internet and have a look for themselves. Look at high-altitude platform stations to get an idea of what that's about. And also Google the Elon Musk 40,000 satellites, and I'll get a, a very good picture as to what's really happening. There is a concern. The biggest concern that we're finding is that the World Health Organization in 2002 under the recommendations of the International Agency for Research on Cancer, said that children should not be exposed to anything over 0.3 of a microtesla. Now, this is a magnetic field, and people have got to understand that anything over 0.3 of a microtesla, there is a consistent association between exposure to magnetic fields from, ele- from electromagnetic radiation from these towers, etc., and childhood lymphatic leukemia. Now, this concern that we have is that at 0.3 of a microtesla, it sounds very low, but when you look at some studies that I have in my possession, which are studies in regards to mobile phones being at 6,200 microtesla, you can start to see there's a real inconsistency between what the World Health Organization is saying and what is actually being put into children's homes via modems, laptops, mobile phones, etc. So you'll find that with all this wireless power transfer, for example, there'll be a huge exposure to magnetic fields, which we're concerned about. At the moment, there is really no regulation. PANSA, for example, which is the Australian Regulatory Authority, which New Zealand uses in regards to standards, it only operates from 3 kilohertz to 300 gigahertz. It doesn't protect anyone from 0 to uh, 3 kilohertz, which is where the magnetic fields operate from. Even though we have 5G, you'll find that it's still in 5G. It's an integral component of 5G, but there is no safety standards as such that are protecting us from that. And you'll find that a PANZA will actually tend to use a, an organisation called ICNIRF, which is the International Commission for Non-Ising Radiation Protection, which basically says that at 100 microtesla is the public safety standard. But that's only for short-term effects. For long-term effects, the World Health Organization recommends a 0.3 of a microtesla, so we have a real problem here. Where 0.3 of a microtesla is what the World Health Organization says for long-term exposure to ELF, that children should not be exposed to anything over 0.3 of a microtesla. Yet, our PANS are following the ICNERP standard, which is 100 microtesla. And there's a real issue there in regards to long-term exposure to electromagnetic radiation. And what my concern is with my clients and etc and my colleagues is that we have a huge exposure issue with the small cells the macro base stations the high altitude platform stations and the satellites all irradiating this electromagnetic radiation without really any consideration to the the leukemia issue Yes, well, we're caught in a sort of a crossfire hurricane at the moment. I mean, it's coming at us from every direction and all the biota on the face of the planet within the biosphere has to be affected, I presume, particularly at the small cellular situations and pregnant animals or pregnant human beings, etc. It's going to affect everybody. Well, what's really concerning is that particularly because the world has just allowed the 60 gigahertz frequency to be used, the real reason they use 60 gigahertz is because, and it helps with their telecommunications, 
is because it actually depletes oxygen. So when you get exposed to 60 gigahertz, 60 gigahertz depletes 98% of the oxygen that it irradiates into, which is a real concern. I've heard this most definitely. I've, yes, this is uh, going around this whole story, but the mainstream media are just saying, oh, no, it's just another conspiracy. Well, I can tell you now that there are studies that indicate, and 60 gigahertz is starting to be rolled out throughout the world. I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but what I can say is that dormant viruses are activated by electromagnetic radiation. I've heard that, yes. And the, and the best one to explain would be the Epstein-Barr virus. And the Epstein-Barr virus is a virus that's asleep in all of us. And when it's exposed to non-ionising radiation, it actually becomes activated. And the best way to explain what Epstein-Barr virus is is herpes. Yes. Now, herpes, sorry, when astronauts go into space, they're cocooned in a capsule and they're completely surrounded by electromagnetic radiation. But just about every astronaut that returns from space has Epstein-Barr virus activated. Now, the issue here is that we understand that with vaccinations, for example, that you do have vaccinations that are incubated in to get the antibodies, etc., for the vaccination would be made in animal embryos from other animals, such as chickens, rats, rabbits, monkeys, etc. And if there's a latent virus possibly inside that, in the vaccination, that's how it possibly could be transferred to human. And then you could see that the electromagnetic radiation can activate dormant viruses. Now, we're not suggesting this is what's happened with COVID, but there's a, a real concern here in regards to being exposing the planet and everybody with this radiation. And what's even worse is that secondary infections, such as the bacteria, for example, from viruses that are activated, you'll find things like there's the Cobacin pneumonia bacteria, and there are studies that show quite clearly that electromagnetic radiation, even in the 50 hertz range, can actually increase the growth of the bacteria. So we have a real issue here that, that people need to be aware of. So my concern is that I have doctors in Australia who have actually looked at the electromagnetic radiation issue, particularly with towers, and they've come to the conclusion that it poses an extreme risk of harm to health. And the PANs are aware of this. And unfortunately, the industry are just following exactly what a panzer is doing and they're failing to listen to what the medical practitioners are telling people in regards to that there is a real risk, an extreme risk of harm if they're exposed to this radiation and particularly in the leukaemia issue. Thank you for this, Rain. Why the frenetic hurry to deploy this? It's because of the... I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that it's a big windfall for everyone. Everyone's trying to jump on this new bandwagon. So much new technology is out there. But what's happened is, unfortunately, the safety standards are not up to speed with what doctors have come to conclusion of. To give you an idea, the Panzer standards are actually... The Panzer board itself, there is not one medical practitioner that sits on the Panzer board. Yes. If you look at the Panzer itself, which is the regulatory authority for New Zealand you'll find that the Panzer itself has a disclaimer. And if, if you simply type up a Panzer disclaimer, you'll see it. And it says very clearly that the Panzer standard and all the material that goes with the Panzer is not set up for as health advice. They make it very clear that if you are concerned about the health effects of electromagnetic radiation, non-ionising band, etc., that you just see a qualified medical practitioner. And that's exactly what I do here in Australia. So I follow the Apanza advice. They say it's only for they say that their 
standards and the material that's there is only for educational purposes only. Yeah, astounding. So uh, in many ways that we can have the telecos up for assault? Could that be...? Yes, that is one area that we've, we're looking at here in Australia. And uh, well, I've actually got a court case which has been running Queensland at the moment and that'll be heard in the 24th of August. And what it is is that we're basically saying that you have a, an act called the Harassment Act in New Zealand Harassment Act 1997, but we have a, in Queensland, we have what's known as the Peace and Good Behaviour Act. And basically what it is is that the law simply classifies assault as this, that any person that applies force against another without that person's consent constitutes an assault. Now, what it comes down to is what is the definition of applied force or applies force? And in Queensland, for example, applies force under the common law makes it very clear and express that applied force includes heat, light, electrical energy and any other substance or thing. So clearly electromagnetic radiation or electromagnetic energy comes under that criteria. So if somebody irradiates me with electromagnetic energy without my consent, then that technically could be classed as an assault and you can get restraint applications and restraint orders issued against telcos for doing that. Thank you. Now, can I ask, doctors in Australia, is there a, a good percentage of them who have got lots of doubts? Because doctors are gagged here in Australia, America, everywhere. They're gagged because of Big Pharma and the Rockefellers yeah. and God knows who else. Well, one thing that doctors have to understand, and, and which is what's happened with my doctors, is they've realised that doctors do not take advice from a panzer in their treatment and diagnosis of their patients. They use a completely different criteria to what the APANS uses. So what the doctors use is they use the World Health Organization's International Classification for Diseases, which is known as the ICD-10. Now, the International Classification of Diseases is basically a diagnostic tool that all doctors use in regards to disease or diseases that people have or adverse health effects. And the, the best one to find is what's known as the W90 under the ICD-10, and under the W90 classification, it actually says exposure to non-ionising radiation, in particular radiofrequency. So there it is. And that's what doctors use to treat and diagnose their patients. A very simple form of non-ionising radiation would be sunburn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. clearly uh, doctors can treat their patients in regards to sunburn. Well, well, radiation exposure is basically, in essence, a, a form of that. But any exposure that a doctor has in regards to with it, treating their patients or looking at the symptoms of the patient can actually assess that. What's even more worrying is that on the APANSA standards and in the supporting documents to the APANSA there is an actual document written by Dr. Bruce Hocking. Now, Dr. Bruce Hocking, the APANSA uses as a supporting document and they show that the volts per metre or the electric field, because electromagnetic radiation is broken up into two spheres, we have the electric field and the magnetic field, and I'll just explain the magnetic field earlier, but I'll now go into the electric field. Now, the electric field, now he actually makes it very clear that brain synapse activity can occur at 0.75 volts per metre. So, for example, if you or I are exposed to a voltage in the air, electricity in the air that's from these towers, etc., and it's over 0.75 volts per metre, it can affect our brain synapse activity. But it even goes further to say that nerves can be affected at 6 volts and that the heart can be affected at 12 volts and it can be a very serious issue. 
Well, what we found here in Australia is that some telcos are actually admitting through EME electromagnetic energy reports that they are actually irradiating people at 61.5 volts per meter. Wow. We have a problem, a real problem. Now, so doctors, doctors are at liberty to diagnose and treat their patients. The APANSA makes it very, very clear that, and the APANSA itself even advises that, that if you're concerned about health, go and see a medical practitioner. So I can't see how health authorities can possibly push down on doctors who are doing that. Well, I trust so, because uh, yeah. our doctors are still seen as a pillar of society in so many ways, and, and yeah. so, so we've got to allow them to say what they need to say. What actions would you suggest we do in New Zealand to bring this forward? Get people, because there's a lot of people suffering from hypersensitivity and headaches. I know of people who pass into a particular region where there are towels up and they actually get a headache just when they drive past, this sort of thing. There must be heaps of that everywhere. Yeah, so EHS or electromagnetic hypersensitivity is in some instances not recognised throughout the world by some doctors, but the reality is is that there are doctors who have looked at the symptoms and they actually have suggested EHS does exist. And in fact, doctors have been treating that. Uh, there's even been a court case in Australia known as McDonald and Comcare where the courts even recognised DHS as being an ailment. So it is recognised as such. Now, the thing is, is with EHS, you do have things such as headaches, nausea, uh, brain fog, fatigue, tinnitus, uh, which is ringing of the ears, etc. And what that ringing of the ears actually is, is that people can actually hear the frequency. And if just a, a simple explanation of what uh, radio frequency can actually do is that when you listen to a radio, for example, it's just people listening to this broadcast are actually really hearing radio frequency. And then there are different frequencies that can, at higher frequencies, can actually affect the eardrum. And that's why a lot of people have tinnitus. So there are certain things. But the doctors, what can people do about this? Well, for example, we have an issue here in Australia where chief medical officers, and I won't point out which one, but they're actually saying that radio frequency is completely safe. Well, hang on. To come out with a statement like that is quite reckless because we've got, in Australia, we've got an organisation called ORSA. And also is a group of scientists around Australia who have come up with the world's largest database in regards to data, in regards to issues with electromagnetic radiation. They found that 68% of all their studies show, and there's over 3,500 studies, 68% of them show that there is a biological effect from exposure to non-ionising radiation. Only 24% of the studies show no effect. So, in essence, we have a scientific consensus in some way that says that 68% does show an effect. Mm. Now, now the thing is that doctors use this. Now, for a chief medical officer or somebody else or the government to come out and say that it's perfectly safe is extremely reckless, and that could warrant complaint to... In Australia, we have an organisation called APRA, or in New Zealand, not sure what you have, but uh, there are... If anyone else, anyone in the in the country, sort of gives out medical advice that is clearly against the status quo, so to speak, or against the the consensus, there can be some complaints made to relevant medical boards. And I think it'd be very 
reckless for a doctor to come out and say it's safe. Yeah, well, thank you for that because I think parents, there's a lot of parents now really, really concerned, and not only that, the grandparents as well, and we just need some stakes in the ground to know exactly where we stand. Okay, well, the, the very first thing that, that I, what I do is I listen to what a Kansas says. If you're concerned about health, go and see a, a health practitioner, a medical practitioner. So what you do is you go to the, the, your doctor and you say, excuse me, doctor, I'm very concerned about the exposure that my children and myself are, are being exposed to from this uh, from this tower or this smart meter or whatever it might be. Can you please tell me whether or not it's, is there a, a risk of harm to my health? Is it safe or not? Now, the doctor has every right to look at the science themselves and come to the conclusion as to what, whether or not it poses a risk of harm to their health. And that's, and get some sort of medical opinion of some sort. And then once you've got your medical opinion, if it says that you are at a risk of harm, then you send that off to the telcos, you send it off to your councils, you send it off to your members of parliament, etc., to try and get some sort of recourse. And that's what I do here in Australia. I've managed to, using medical opinions, have managed to stop towers in their track. To give an idea, we had a, an issue here in Australia where just a small cell facility was being built about six metres from one of my client's bedrooms. And unfortunately for the telco, which is known as TPG, they didn't realise that that particular home was actually owned by a doctor and his wife was also a doctor. And what they didn't realise either was that the entire street, there was eight doctors that lived on that street who were all opposed to this small cell facility being put there. So in essence, I was engaged to assist and I did. And we ended up having a community meeting where 13 doctors turned up on our side to explain the, the problems associated with electromagnetic radiation, particularly non-ionising radiation from the small cell. The council uh, turned up to the meeting as well, some councillors. And they ended up having a resolution back at council to put a basically ban the, the and ask them to move the, the tower or the small cell. What had happened there is that the, the knee-jerk reaction from CVG was that they stopped 2,500 of their own small cells from operating in Australia. So they already had 900 already established small cells on power poles. They then had a were about to implement another 1,600 but basically from that one doctor's opinion and then doing, having the meeting, talking to council, we managed to remove the entire network from that one provider. Yeah, this is fantastic, uh, particularly in Australia. Say, for example, when a GP supports their patient here in New Zealand through supplying them with a medical report or medical certificate, do you know of GPs receiving warnings from the medical council or worse case, uh, say, losing their registration through their involvement? No. I've had one doctor with one complaint, and that was actually the complaint was made by, believe it or not, from the Chief Medical Officer's Office. So we're in the, currently, how can I explain it, you can see where there was a real conflict there because the government are behind it. But the reality is, is that, no, it's very hard for a medical board to intervene with a doctor-client relationship. It's really up to a doctor. The doctor has the discretion and the freedoms to work out whether, you know, from the symptoms, using the World Health Organization's International Classification Diseases, using the W90 and basically going through and, and assessing it. 
In an idea, the Australian government has uh, what we call the Specialist Medical Review Council, which is a, a special medical board that's been set up here in Australia under the Veterans Affairs Entitlements Act. And what the board does is they look at whether or not there is any sort of issues in regards to veterans, defence veterans who have uh, contracted some sort of ailment or illness for insurance purposes. And they've come up to the conclusion that they've looked at all the scientific evidence that the APANs are looked at and so they did a 302-page dossier or report on it, and the internet, the Specialist Medical Review Council, which was under the Commonwealth Government here in Australia, says this, that there is sound medical and scientific evidence to include non-ionising radiation as a factor in leukaemia. Okay. Now, if the Specialist Medical Review Council says this, and then we've got medical, you know, you've got a board that's saying this, and then you've got various doctors around the country. We've had a, a court case where one particular doctor that I use was actually now considered one of the experts in electromagnetic radiation. For them to be awarded compensation from the Commonwealth Government for exposure, he was a CSIRO scientist who was exposed to non-ionising radiation in the workplace, and he received compensation. So I guess you could say when you look at that, you look at the consensus from the scientific studies that show quite clearly that there is an adverse or what we can say an, an effect caused by exposure to non-ionising radiation as against the only 24%, you can start to see that the, the odds are really going against the exposure issue. Well, when it's all said and done, all the telcos and all the upper echelons of their organisation, they have to go to a doctor sometime in their life. So they've got to believe what a good, honest doctor wants to convey. Exactly. I'm speaking with lawyer Ray Broomhall from Hobart in Tasmania. So can I ask also, how long does, say, a GP need to know the patient prior to writing a report for that patient? Has it ever been an issue? No, as long as they are a patient and they're treated or they're consulted by the doctor and they go through the usual consultation process for any sort of illness or ailment or any concern that a particular patient has. They've always concerned about any other sort of area of outside of electromagnetic radiation. There'd be no difference. So I guess I can't really comment but I haven't seen any issue with the length of time that a, a patient needs to be with a doctor before a doctor can give some medical advice. So a doctor most probably would say, well, look, EMF is causing my patient to suffer from anxiety, panic attacks, or do the more somatic, i.e. skin rashes, immune symptoms, are they expressed? What? How does the doctor present this to a court? Well, usually what happens is a doctor will have a look at the science, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a really good website called the Physicians for Safe Technology, which is a, a group of doctors around the world who have all joined forces in regards specifically to this issue. And it's uh, Physicians for Safe Technology. You can Google, Google, doctors can Google it to have a look at that. There are, I guess you could say, as long as it, it, the doctor, it doesn't really matter how the doctor comes to their conclusion, but if they simply say to the patient, well, look, I'm, I've looked at the science and looked at your symptoms, I've looked at the ICD-10, I've looked at various things, and I can say, in my opinion, that I believe that you're, and looking at the World Health Organization, in particular with the studies and the advice from the World Health Organization that children should not be exposed to over 0.3 microtests or in the home, and if the child is exposed to anything over that, then that poses obviously a risk of harm in the, in the form of possible contracting of leukaemia. It's a serious issue. And to give you an idea, Dr. Bruce Hocking, who's the one that supports 
supports the has supporting documentation for the Apanza standard. In 1996, he did a study around three broadcast towers in Sydney here in Australia, and he found a 60% increase in childhood deaths from childhood lymphatic leukemia, and that sent the alarm bells racing. He got it peer-reviewed in the Australian Medical Journal. At the time, he was the Chief Medical Officer for Telstra, and apparently he was sacked after coming out with this report. It was then emulated throughout the world, and other studies were, were put through, and that then forced the International Agency for Research on Cancer in 2002 to class it as a Class 2B possible carcinogen. And they were being 3G towers in those times. Uh, I'm not sure of it, what it was, but it was basically, at, believe it or not, it was only at the frequency of 50 hertz. To give you an idea, just as your listeners understand the difference, what the frequencies are, one hertz is the measurement that we use in regards to electromagnetic radiation. And what it means is that my body is being hit by a wave, a radio wave, every second. Okay, so one hertz is one, every second I get hit once. At 50 hertz, which is around the broadcast towers here in Sydney, that was at 50 cycles per second. So that means my body was being hit 50 times by the electromagnetic radiation, okay? 60 gigahertz, so as everybody understands this, that is 60 billion cycles per second. So our bodies are going to be hit with 60 billion cycles of energy per second from that frequency. 24-7, 365 days. That's correct. That's why the International Agency for Research on Cancer said that children should not be exposed long-term, I might add, long-term to ELF over 0.3 of a microtesla. And what's happening is the ICNERP, which is, by the way, ICNERP is not even a government body. It's not recognised. The Court of Turin in uh, Italy, Court of Appeals, said that the ICNERPs, they felt the industry had infiltrated ICNERP to such an extent that their evidence from uh, the standard technically from ICNERP was irrelevant or they didn't have very much weight to use in regards to that ICNERP standard. And unfortunately, a Panzer follow 100 microtesla as the standard. And what they forget to tell everyone is that the 100 microtesla is only set up for short-term exposure. Long-term exposure, it shouldn't be exceed 0.3 of a microtesla. Why can't we get this information from the telcos? Well, clearly, because they don't... Well, that's a very good point. I mean, this is what I've exposed here in Australia, and this is how I've managed to stop towers and convince councils, etc., because they know that we're going to reveal this in court. And I guess the issue here is that uh, I think it's all about education, people opening up their eyes, looking out what's out there and, and taking heed of that. Yes, because I've been in rallies outside the telcos here in New Zealand and the, the managers come out and they give us the same old story, oh, well, the World Health Organisation and blah, 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 says it's all OK. What they're saying there is they're telling you that RF is safe. They're completely ignoring ELF. See, RF is a different... You've got to understand that RF is at a higher frequency. ELF is at a lower frequency. The ELF is the magnetic field issue. The RF is a, is a higher frequency. So from 3 kilohertz to 300 gigahertz is RF. Under that is ELF. And as I mentioned earlier, all of these frequencies still... For 5G, still operate ELF through those frequencies. And there's a, you'll see that they're very clever in what they say. They say that there's no established health effects from RF exposure. Well, the World Health Organization, yes, in 2011, 
class RF as being a, as a class 2B possible carcinogen. But before RF classification came out, they had the ELF, which is the magnetic field, in 2002. And they're completely ignoring the ELF factor. Yes, astounding, astounding. And because I'm just going to jump another one through here. Russia is evidently holding back on this technology. Any thoughts on this? Yes, there are, and it's because there's been some very consistent studies. In fact, there's some, the CIA have actually, there's a study which clearly showed the dangers of ELF, particularly magnetic fields, with the Russians have done some serious studies back in the 60s in regards to this. The Americans have a copy of that study, and, and the Russians know full well of the dangers of electromagnetic radiation, particularly non-ionizing. Yes, well, I know their whole physics and their whole science at that particular level is actually very well documented. They're researching far deeper than in many cases in uh, what we're doing in the West. And their whole, their whole understanding of physics and subatomic physics and quantum physics is another level in many ways beyond our understanding. Exactly, and their safety, their safety standards are a thousand times lower than we are. Way lower. Uh, even China is. I mean, other countries are, for example, Australia, US, are we way, our exposure limits are extremely high compared to China and Russia, etc. I hear that. Way back in about 1997, a friend of mine in the Ministry of Environment talked to me while I was living there and he said that the New Zealanders have actually given their power away to Australia because Australia's got so many different states and I say they have a, a vote for each state and New Zealand only had one vote because we're only one country and he said that the levels in Australia were so high but New Zealand was just swallowed up and had to actually go with the Australian standard because they were outvoted. Well, to give an idea that the study that I just talked about, which is called ORSA, which is, has all these scientists, there's one particular, the founding member of ORSA was a gentleman, his name's Victor Leach, and he used to be, he's a radiation physicist. And he, particularly in regards to nuclear radiation, but he also looked at non-ionising radiation, which is basically the only difference between nuclear and between uh, radioactive, you think about the word radio for a moment, radioactive nuclear type radiation and, and normal radiation is the frequency. That's the only difference. They're exactly the same material microwaves, it's just that they're at a much higher frequency and so it becomes ionising or radioactive. But anyway, this uh, radiation physicist, he was working for a panzer for 10 years. He realised the problem and he's now part of ORSA, which is the one that came up with all those studies and found that 3,500 of the studies that they came together, the 3,500, that 68% of those showed a, some sort of biological effect uh, from people being exposed to non-ionising electromagnetic radiation as compared to the 24%, there was no effect. But So even a panzer, you'll see... Chief Medical Officer of Telstra, for example, when he came up and found the ELF issue in 1996, you probably heard of a man who was driving his tank. I don't know if you remember him. Yes, Patterson. He drove his tank and destroyed telecommunication towers. Yes. He was actually a health and safety officer and a scientist within, I won't mention the telco, but basically he was trying to tell his employers that there was a real problem with not only the public but also the workers 
uh, being exposed to this stuff and they ended up, they didn't listen to him and uh, so he went out in the tank to try and make them listen and uh, ended up going to jail. Uh, so there was, when you really look behind the scenes, you start to see some real issues. Okay, well, look, you're in Australia, you've got Queensland, New South Wales, uh, Victoria and the other states. Have they come together as a unified group to be able to push back to the telecoms or are they doing it state by state? Because we here in New Zealand, I mean, it'd be good for us to be able to get in with you as well. Well, how it started is we've, I guess I've been doing this nearly eight years now, seven to eight years, and when I had my first client who came into me, I, had, I didn't even know what EHS was or what, I had no idea, and I thought it was a very unusual thing, but I kept digging and I realised that when people started to know that I was actually assisting this particular lady, that a lot of people came out of the woodwork and there are thousands of people now, not only in Australia but worldwide, many thousands of people who um, are affected by radiation and it actually creates real debilitating issues for them and a lot of people become homeless, they can't live in, they have to move, move out of their homes to get some, some sort of relief from this, this stuff. They'll go and move to another home and they can't... Wherever they go, they seem to... The radiation seems to follow them and technology seems to follow them. But, uh, but um, yeah, I've lost my train of thought again. <laughs> Sorry, mate. That's OK. It's a relationship to how you can combine all the states together and, and yeah, have a unified okay. field. Yeah. So in Australia, what, what we did is we got um, groups together, people that were trying to fight towers, for example. A good example was ECSFR, which is a, an organisation in uh, Mullumbimby in uh, Byron Shire in, in uh, New South Wales, and they wanted to stop a, a tower. So I told them, look, uh, form, a, form a group, form an association, which they did, and basically became sort of like a network where other people around the country, we stopped a tower in Byron called, called the Wilson's Creek Tower using the, the work I, I do with my advice, my medical advice, and we convinced council to stop the, the, the development, and that went very, very well. And then that emulated throughout the rest of the country, and basically we found that um, groups were setting up Facebook groups, and you get an idea there's about 250 different Facebook groups in this country that are all opposed to, or have got concerns, I should say, is probably the way of putting it, in regards to EMR. And basically unifying everybody through the Facebook groups has been really impressive. I've been doing speaking tours uh, from in each state to explain to everybody what they can do, what they you know, can't do, how the law works in regards to stopping these things and or to sort of halt it and to put the safety issue back on the map. And the most important thing is the precaution principle, which basically means that uh, all states, and I'm sure New Zealand has the same thing, where basically there's scientific uncertainty as to whether a product is safe or not, that you should err on caution. And that's all we're trying to tell every tell the telcos and tell the government that clearly there's some safety issues here. Err on caution, exercise the precautionary principle and uh, and at least put a moratorium on the development. And that's what we're saying. And we've managed to have convinced... Uh, I'll be, just rattle off the councils now. Uh, I've managed to get the Byron Shire Council to put a moratorium on 5G, the Randwick City Council... Um, the Gold Coast City Council stopped a tower. Uh, we had just had chittering in Western Australia stop a tower and uh, also stop, uh, basically put a, a motion to the council in order to put a moratorium until the telcos can provide medical evidence 
that it's safe and uh, which we know is going to be very hard for them to get. Um, and also we Sutherland Shire as well. And so there's, it's just a matter of convincing councils. I think that the trick is more at your council level than more at your government level um, because governments tend to have a, a, a totally different agenda uh, in regards to rollout of this technology. But the council, the councils themselves, the municipal councils, are the ones that have a lot of... Uh, often a lot of power, particularly in regards to development applications, um, they can then do, do what they can to try and convince the telcos to uh, provide uh, stronger evidence as to the safety of these things. Yes, well, with councils too, you can get to the councillor and you can talk to the people in the, in the council in your local area in a town or a village, whereas in the city, and more particularly in down in the capital, it's very, very difficult to get to these people. Now, we They're a lot more accessible, yes. yes. Pardon? They're a lot more accessible. Yes, they, they are. We're having a... Um, in, in September, we're having a an election here and we want to be able to get this in front of the people. When oh, we, okay. Yes. Any suggestions? Okay. Well, what we're doing in Australia is, uh, look, we got to the point where I realised that, you know, I'm stopping towers and networks in different areas around the country, but I've realised that it's only a matter of time before the legislature catches up and I'll start changing the law to close up the loopholes to stop what I'm doing. So we'll get to a point where we, it, it gets almost impossible to try and stop towers etc. So so the, the last resort was to, to form a political party, which is what we're doing right now in Australia, forming a group called No5G, uh, the No5G Party, and what it is is uh, we've, in this, the Australian Electoral Commission, we only need to have 550 members in order to uh, become uh, registered as a political party. Within two weeks, we had over a thousand members join us. So now we've got plenty of uh, people to, to put in the registration process. So should soon we'll have a political party up and running. Um, the thing is, is that how we're doing it here in Australia is that a lot of people don't realise it, but we have, uh, there's three major parties that you deal with in this country. One is called the Australian Greens. The Australian Greens has 1,600 members. The Australian Labor Party has 40,000 members and the uh, Coalition, which is the Liberal National Party, have joined forces. They've got 55,000. They're the current government at the moment. So 55,000 members, it sounds like a, uh, not a lot when you really consider the, the entire country. country. Yeah. Um, but what we've realised is that, hang on, on our Facebook groups, we've got over 150,000 people there alone. <laughs> so... So what we're going to do is that once we become registered, we just our whole game is to uh, enrol as many people as they can to be members of our political party, and we can technically become the big, biggest political party in the country. And the real goal of that is that we'll have our policies in regards to safe technology and saying, you know, and then we've got quite a few policies there. And what we've asked the, uh, basically what we want is that the other parties start adopting our policies. And that's what will happen. So that's once right. they realise that we're becoming a real force, you bet. they will start adopting our policies. And that's how we get this thing on the map, so to speak. Excellent. That's right, because in the end, the Labor Party pushed through nuclear-free New Zealand and then the National Party came in afterwards because they realised that they were dragging the chain. Now, we've got in New Zealand, we've got Social Credit, uh, which is a small party, the Outdoors Party as well, and 
also the New Zealand Public Party, and they have a strong statement to make on stopping 5G too. Can I just, because we're running short of time, Lisa Eyre here in Auckland, she's is actually seeking an MP and an opportunity in Auckland to present to a petition with 20,000 signatures. We've already got those signatures to halt 5G petition, but unfortunately neither of our MPs will receive it. And nor will, nor will Jacinda Ardern, the MP for Mount Albert, who also is the Prime Minister. And the other thing you'll find, and I learned this a long time ago, that all inquiries, petitions, etc., there'll be a, a thing under your Act that will say that petitions must go to the relevant minister first before it's tabled to Parliament. Now, the minister may table the petition to Parliament or he may not. Most of the petitions that get tabled in Parliament are thrown out, uh, are only the ones that are being approved by the minister relevant ministers so unfortunately a lot of petitions just don't get to see the light of day and and the, the reality is is the only way that i can see to do it is to simply rally the troops get them to back one of your parties or back the three of them become members of those parties and and vote with your feet by basically becoming a member and uh make sure that those parties are really promoting the policies of, of safe technology in regards to 5g that's what we're doing here and, and hopefully we'll be successful. Yes, well, I mean, there's so many questions there too because, you see, we also have Rocket Lab here, a, um, a, a small rocket group who are putting up satellites at the moment and we don't know if they're going to be drawn into this whole process that we All have. Right, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you exactly quickly where you have the Outer Space and High Altitude Activities Act 2017 and that has actually got conditions in regards to indemnity and insurance issues. Now if any of this causes safety issues um, now a good example is radiation from these satellites could pose a, a health risk or harm to, to people on the, on the ground under the Space Liability Convention which is uh, New Zealand's party to it, that any launch state uh, is, is liable. So basically individuals in, the, in your country can sue um, the, um, either the, the, um, the uh, emitter, which is the, 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 the satellites uh, launch state, or it could be from another country. Now, you'll find that the, the, the uh, Outer Space and High Altitude, uh, High Altitude Activities Act 2017 actually stipulates that they must have insurance to cover them for uh, licensing provisions. So, so even though the, the satellites are coming over New Zealand airspace, they have to have a launch permit or a, what we call a permit to actually go over your airspace. Now, in order to do that, they have to have insurance. And the space, the act that I just read to you, makes it very clear that they must have that insurance. Now, we all know that Lloyds of London will not underwrite um, any damage caused by non-ionising radiation. So you've got a problem. And I think you need to let your members of parliament know that, that how can you have the Outer Space and High Altitude, Altitude Activities Act 2017 have any launch um, launch um, rockets from New Zealand going up into space setting up satellites when they can't have insurance to cover any damage it might cause the general public and not only in Australia in, in New Zealand but also uh, in other countries and not only that you've got SpaceX coming over your airspace or SpaceX should also have insurance. In Australia, for example, SpaceX has, used to have to have $750 million per satellite 
to cover for insurance purposes. Um, now, they've reduced that down to $120 million, but what I can tell you is that they, it'd be very hard-pressed that they could get... You know, if you've got 40,000 satellites, how much insurance per satellite they have to get? Um, but not yeah. only that, how can they possibly get insurance to cover them for, for exposure to ionising radiation? I find it very hard for them to get that. Cool. Wow. Yeah. And I think that, that if you really want to push that in New Zealand to your members of parliament, and I think once they become educated and know what the hell's going on, uh, they might see this in a totally different light. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, again, it's it's unknowingness and, and a refusal to want to know solely because they see the narrative as being run by extremists like you and I are extremists and all we're actually wanting to do is know the facts. Well, well the, the fact is this, is that, that there, is, uh, it is, there is safe technology and safe technology is fibre optic cable. It's as simple as that. You. You'll find that your, your towers, believe it or not, those... Uh, telecommunication towers that you see dotted all around your country they're all connected underground by by, by fibre optic and all they need to do is, is to basically extend the fibre optic cable to the homes and to the businesses and if you want to have Wi-Fi in your home that's up to you, if you want to have a mobile phone in your home that's up to you but the problem here is that they're not giving us the choice of whether or not we want to be irradiated or not in our own home and the, the, the thing is that this is something that's really interesting is that 5G, the fastest it can go on wireless is around 10 gigabits per second. So think about this for a moment, 10 gigabits per second. Fibre optic goes a lot faster at 64,000 gigabits per second. So if I'm hardwired, say, by landline, in the old landline telephone to the, to the tower, you would find you'd get a lot more data going through your modem and or through your through your laptop faster than anything's ever been before. And they don't tell you that. And there's a, a very safe system that they're using in Australia called the Square Kilometre Array, which is a radio telescope, which is set up in Western Australia here in Australia. And within a 200-kilometre radius, no one is allowed to go anywhere near the facility with anything that emits electromagnetic radiation because it will affect the sensitive equipment in checking out space radio waves from space. So... What I'm saying there is they use fibre optic cable through the entire facility and they connect to another one in South Africa all by fibre optic. It's all fibre optic and it's completely safe. Yeah, astounding, astounding. Oh, boy. I had another question. It's just gone now yeah. because you've <laughs> extended my neural network. <laughs> yeah. I've been on this for a while. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Now, I've got another question, a little bit out of it. I've sent to Solutions Empowerment a vaccine non-consent documents to Parliament, and the third one is actually in the mail. What do you think of this Solutions Empowerment process, as I'm assuming you know a little bit about it? I'm not very clear of what you've got in New Zealand, but there are some issues here in regards to no-jab, no-pay type arrangements where the government's penalising people for not getting vaccinations. Is this, or are you talking about mandatory vaccination? That's right. Are you talking about mandatory or...? Having it imposed on us, yes. Yeah, OK. Well, mandatory... Well, this is the issue, and this is what I'm trying to raise, is that, and I said it earlier, is that I personally believe that mandatory 
is, is a bit of a concern, particularly when we know that, that uh, latent viruses can be activated by electromagnetic radiation. So my concern with mandatory vaccinations is that if they're taking it from an animal and then basically passing it on to humans through the vaccination, and we know that electromagnetic radiation can activate some viruses, is it safe? And I guess the, the same issue would be, the same would apply if I went to see my doctor and said, excuse me, doctor, I just want a medical certificate or some sort to tell me whether or not you believe it's safe or not. Is there a chance that, that a latent virus could be activated if, if I'm forced to take a vaccination? There are other issues in regards that I haven't looked into it totally, but mandatory vaccinations is a concern. Yes, that's right. Well, this Solutions Empowerment Vaccine Non-Consent document, I've already sent two to the Prime Minister and the third one's in the mail and I just thought I might just ask if you know much about this particular good people, these good people in Solutions Empowerment. One thing that I found very interesting is that they're now pushing here in Australia that pharmacists can give vaccinations, not doctors, so not medical practitioners. There's a problem there because you've got a duty of care issue where doctors will know the history of the patient, they'll sit down and work out whether or not there could be reactions to the patient. There's all sorts of things. So they know the medical history and they know the consequences possibly of and the dangers of possibly taking a certain vaccine. Now, if you take away that duty of care and hand it directly to a pharmacist or or somebody else that's not medically qualified as such, it can pose some real issues, not only for liability issues for the pharmacist, but also for the actual government themselves for implementing such a policy. So the mandatory vaccination issue is something that needs to be looked at very, very carefully, particularly the duty of care issue to the patient themselves. Yes, thank you, Ray. This is wonderful. Uh, This is really really good. I'm so glad that you've been able to explain it so clearly. For all listeners, I think this will go really well with most New Zealanders who really have a duty of care and, and want to make sure that their children and their animals and all biota and the biosphere come through this without having to be emblazoned with frequencies and all the rest. So I want to say thank you very much for your valuable time. Greatly appreciate this. It's been an absolute pleasure and thank you, Tim, for extending me that invitation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Excellent. And again, I want to say really appreciate who you are and what you're doing, brother. Anytime. And same to you, Tim. And if it wasn't for people like you, we wouldn't be getting the message out. So well done. Well done. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Ray Broomhall from Hobart in Tasmania talking about 5G. Decide to network. Use every letter you write, every conversation you have, every meeting you attend, every email you send. And remember, even Facebook. To tweet and to express your fundamental beliefs and dreams. Affirm to others the vision of the world you want. Network through thought. Network through action. Network through love. Network through the spirit. You are the centre of a network. You are the centre of the world. You are a free, immensely powerful source of life and goodness. Affirm it. Spread it. Radiate it. Think day and night about it, and you will see a miracle happen. The greatness of your own life in a world of big powers, media and monopolies. But of 7.7 billion individuals, networking is the new freedom. 
for new democracy and new transparency and a new form of wholeness and happiness. This originated by Dr. Robert Muller, Chancellor of the World Peace University in Costa Rica, Central America. I invite you to be able to come to greenplanetfm.com where we have over 500 interviews in our database which you can readily download and listen to to be able to inspire yourself to become the change you want to see in the world and become involved in caring for your children and grandchildren's future. We are also on Facebook, on Green Planet FM and ourplanet.org. Please come and love us. This is Tim Lynch and Lisa Eyre. In the spirit of Aroha, wishing you a wonderful week. We look forward to being with you next week. I say kia kaha and haere